0: Ride with me in my foul
1: life. What's up, what's up, what's up? Podcast World Chat Building back at you. Another episode of the Foul Life, our Essentials of Duck Hunting series. Thank you all so much for the support. We're getting inundated with messages from y'all. You guys are enjoying the entire series so far. We've covered it all from outfitting and everything that goes into making you a successful duck, goose, waterfowl hunter day in and day out. What we're trying to do is create consistency and success. So today we're gonna stay on those same lines with another essential that has become so important to me the last 10 years of my hunting career and when I talk to people about this, they kind of look at me like I'm crazy. Like, no, there's no way that matters until they try it. And my guest today is going to be able to explain that plus her story on a totally different level of what high-vis sights has done for her career, her shooting ability, her shooting talents, her shooting success, and what it's done for mine and our entire crew here at the Foul Life because of what the high-vis sights allow us to do with our Benelli shotguns. And we've also transitioned the high viz story and culture and sights into our home defense, our pistols, our handguns, all of our home defense shotguns, um, our turkey hunch, you name it, Viz has been along, Mr. Phil Howe's a dear friend of mine, the entire company based out of Wyoming now, they were formerly out of Fort Collins, Colorado when I first started working with them almost 10 years ago, they are truly an American success story and a big part of our success here at the Fowl Life and all of our brands, Lanny Barnes is our guest today, welcome ma'am.
0: Chad, so good to be here. Um, Foul Life is one of my favorite shows. Watch it with my dad. Uh, thanks for having me.
1: Oh, well, that's a nice compliment. So did Tess pay you to say that? Did Sandy pay you to say that? Or how does that work out?
0: <laughs> not, not at all, no. Uh, I don't think that's part of the budget.
1: Hey, um, oh, that would be kind of cool if they set aside budget to pay people to give me compliments.
0: <laughs> we'll work on that.
1: I think that'd be nice. You are a true live Olympian.
0: I am, yeah. Three-time Olympic biathlete.
1: So three times, can you give me the years 2014, 2010,
0: 2006? That's correct, yeah.
1: And you compete in the biathlon which is I don't know how how far biathlon goes back, but it's a it's a, a older sport, right? An older segment of the Olympics that combines skiing Cross-country, backcountry skiing, I don't know if there's downhill, downhill skiing including that, and then in shooting. So give me an idea of, of, of the, how, how those two are encompassed in biathlons.
0: Yeah, so the interesting thing about biathlon is it, it derived from uh, Scandinavia as a form of hunting on skis. And then became a military tactic in World War One and World War Two, and then during times of peace, militaries would compete against each other. And then became an Olympic sport. So it's it's actually, uh, you know, as far as, as hunting goes, it's 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 as close to hunting as you can get in the Olympics. And uh, it's just like you said, it's cross country skiing and rifle marksmanship. So you carry a gun on your back and you ski uh, miles and miles and and come to the range and shoot and then head off again and it's a really exciting sport in europe
1: so in europe it's it's kind of got its roots and how long has it been uh how long has america had a team
0: uh well for women it started in the 80s 80s. for the olympics um it's been around a lot longer for men and uh you know it's it's one of the most popular actually the most popular winter sport now in europe more people watch uh, world cup in europe than than do people watch the uh the super bowl. (laughs) So it's it's really exciting over there. I mean, they don't have uh, football. So, um, obviously they, they, they look for other sports to, to engage in and, and, uh, like our typical world cup, we'll have 30 to 50,000 spectators on a, on a Wednesday. Uh, so it's pretty exciting over there. You know, we, we have a lot of fans and it's, you know, you have tons of screaming, inebriated Germans behind you. And, and so it makes a pretty exciting sport over there
1: but it's actually kind of new for females in America to be part of the team. So did, as far as you, you live in Colorado. I assume that you train at a lot of the the resorts in Colorado. Do you, do you live on a place where your backyard is a training course or what does it take or entail? Obviously you can only ski part of the year in Colorado when the ski resorts are open or there's snow on the mountain, obviously, and you're in really good shape. So I, I assume you're swimming and weightlifting and nutrition and diet and focus and mental stability and everything that goes into being a world-class Olympic athlete is going into this. And then on top of that, you add in the, the marksmanship and the precision of being able to hit a target with your heart rate going up and down with intervals of maybe getting to 160, 170, bringing it down to 130, systematic breathing, learning how to control your lung capacity. There's a That's almost like a military approach to to training for you know a military mission for special forces or whoever um is that kind of what you're all of that is is encompassed into the training for a biathlon
0: oh absolutely yeah and and my twin sister and i actually uh, do a lot of training for special forces and things like that because there's a lot of things that that we do that can transfer over for them into their training but biathlon is no different than a lot of sports you do a lot of cross training so when we don't have snow we we do what we call roller skiing uh it's they're about that long and at wheel on each end no brakes and we just ski down the roads um same boots and poles that we use in the winter we do a lot of biking running swimming you know weightlifting things like that and and uh like you said nutrition's huge in in the olympics uh you want to make sure that you're eating healthy and eating right and uh all right eating, well let's you're... stop
1: right there then Land. <laughs> what what is your what how disciplined are you? Because I consider myself a pretty disciplined person, but the quarantine has kicked my butt in a lot of ways where I almost find an excuse to like, well, I don't need my routine right now. Well, I don't, it doesn't matter if I eat bad right now. Cause this, you know, it's almost like your mindset gets a little bit warped or manipulated in a time like this. And you can't afford to have that happen. If you're an Olympic athlete, if you're training for the world games or another Olympian, um, have you seen it sway a little bit, or have you been able to disregard all of the noise and stay one hundred percent like low starches and high proteins and your shakes? And are you dedicated one hundred percent during the quarantine, or has it messed with you a little bit?
0: You know, absolutely. I uh, quarantine or not, I, I tell people the same thing. It doesn't matter if you're an Olympian or not. Uh, you need to treat your body as if it were a fine-tuned race car. You know, if what you put in it is what you're going to get out of it. So if you put bad gas, and you know you don't do your oil changes and things like that, your your car is not going to run. And that's your that's your engine. That's your that's your body essentially. You know, life's too short to treat yourself really bad. So you might as well uh, put good things into it, and you're going to get good things out of it.
1: So just between us, and I'll stop recording here. Maybe. Do you <laughs> do you ever drink alcohol?
0: I I do on occasion, yes. But very yeah. rarely? Uh, well, it, for most athletes, it doesn't take much. <laughs> so, you know, I, I guess I'm a cheap date in that sense. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it's not that I'm opposed to it or anything. It's it just I, uh, I tend to not drink too much because I know that the next day I want to feel good and I want to do something. And right. uh, so, yeah, just maybe don't indulge too much.
1: So when you say like staying on this, this training regimen and is there a co- is there a coach full time or are you mainly kind of on your own? Are you and your sister pushing each other throughout the year? Because I, I wouldn't assume that like you live kind of close to the Olympic village, I guess. So you could probably go over to the Springs and go there if you needed to, but is it mainly on your own? Most of the time as a biathlete to where you, you're not, you don't have a babysitter and it's all on you to, to stay in shape and to, and to keep your skills pretty keen
0: yeah well um just just you know I retired from Bathlon in 2014 so I'm not training for Bathlon anymore now I'm just training for shooting competitions and things like that but I mean the it's it's pretty much all on me. I mean I have to maintain the fitness and the the shooting and the skills and things like that um, you know i I could easily sit back and and uh, you know sleep in every morning and, and things like that because there's no one watching and and uh, checking in to see if I'm, I'm doing the work and putting it in. I mean, um, and that's the same for most people, you know, if you, if you want something badly enough, it's, it's up to you to go out and get it. You know, you can, you can use people around you for support. And I, I always recommend that to people, you know, get a good support system, but at the end of the day, you know, no one can pull the trigger for you. It has to be you. So you got to get the work in and put the work in to get it done.
1: Has being in tip top physical shape, as far as like core and equilibrium and balance and quadriceps and your butt muscles and your gluteus maximus and that entire area that you kind of, that kind of supports your whole body. Um, have you found it that it's made you a way better shooter to, as opposed to being out of shape and not having the control of your body or the muscle memory are you able to control the muscles in your in that in, in all of the different aspects of the body? And I want to go over that because a lot of people think that shooting is just picking up a gun and you don't really have to be in shape to be keen. I'm not saying that a shotgunner, because a lot of duck hunters, you get a bad rap for being out of shape or not necessarily needing to be in shape because you don't move a lot like a sheep hunter or a mule deer hunter would per se. And then, you know, you're just putting your shotgun up in the air a lot of the times, but the bet, I would think that the more in tune you are with your muscle memory and your body as a whole, as your temple, like you're saying, it would make you a much better shooter, the better physical shape that you were in.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and one thing that my twin sister and I always told people is that biathlon made us better hunters and hunting made us better biathletes um, they kind of went hand in hand and as even with shooting um we noticed that the the better sh- physical shape we got in uh the better our shooting was you know your your reaction time is quicker um the positions you could get in to to get a shot off uh where you may not necessarily be able to otherwise uh you could do um there's so many things that translate into uh being in good physical shape i mean even you to talk about bow hunters and if they, if they pull a bow back and being able to hold for a minute with a bull elk staring at them, as opposed to 15 seconds and, you know, shake and have put the, put the bow down. But, um, you know, everything, everything you do, uh, the better shape you're in, the better you will be at no matter what you do.
1: So you, you say that your one of your favorite shows is the Fowl life. And I, and I'm going to believe you are, do you waterfowl hunt?
0: I do. Yeah. Okay.
1: So you do waterfail hunt. So we have that now. I want to get to that. Have you like been on skis and like chased the bull elk down and then like jumped on its back? Is that how you hunt with skis? And I'm not trying to make a joke out of it, but like a lot of means of this, like, I don't know the legalities of like in a truck, you can't just drive a truck and shoot a gun out of it at an animal. Can okay. you be on moving skis going after an animal in that situation? Is it state to state? Like let's take Colorado and the Rocky mountains, for example. Or is it more of a stocking deal, Annie? To where you're using the skis to get into a position to get closer to the elk, staying quieter on your skis, or have you actually been in like a downhill race to get to an elk or a deer or something? Um, and because there is there is snow on the mountain a lot of times during those seasons in Colorado.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, majority of the time, uh, you know, when I'm hunting elk, I'm doing archery, so it's usually bare ground. But um, I've hunted on skis before, and there's no saying that you can't. Um, that's you know, it's, it's, it's just like hunting on a bike. I, My twin sister and I were up biking in the mountains this weekend uh, after turkeys. And, uh, you know, as long as you're not using a motor, <laughs> you know, you don't have a motor on your skis or, or your bike or anything like yeah. that. And you can get yourself back into where you want to be and where the animals are. There's no saying you can't do it. And,
1: uh, Give me a story. You got You got to have some kind of success story of a badass hunt on skis.
0: <laughs> well, I don't have any good success stories of of hunting on skis besides small game, but I do have one that I'm pretty proud of. Uh, hunting elk. I was somewhere between twelve and thirteen thousand feet, right right about treeline. And uh, my sister and I usually kind of split up and, and conquer and uh, divide and conquer. And she spooked this herd of elk that I was sneaking up on. And so I knew that I had to to try to get ahead of them, otherwise I wouldn't see him again. So I took off at a at a sprint and uh, was able to more or less chase him down and took a perfect shot at the elk was running. I was running. I don't recommend that for a lot of people, but um, pretty proud of that that moment, be able to take a good shot and uh, you know at that elevation and catch up to the elk.
1: So. And when that's all said and done, what is your go-to as far as, are you a a liver off of the lander like I am? Do you like take pride in being a hunter gatherer provider? I have this whole mentality of, that there's like not another cooler way to live as a man. And then when I see a woman that can do this kind of stuff, I'm just like, man, how cool is it that now the girl, the woman that is actually kind of the caregiver or kind of the mom, a bear, you know, that's supposed to, that in, in history has been that provider of the food, the meals. And then, but now you're like going out and you're doing the hunting, you're doing the, the processing, the butchering, the cooking, all of that. Do you encompass all that? And do you, you, you and your sister's upbringing in your life today?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I've shot, uh, 22 elk and, uh, have packed out all but two of them on my back.
1: Jeez. Are you, so, you're like the Cameron Haynes of the female world. Do you, do you hang with Cameron?
0: <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. And, uh, I, I take pride in, in, uh, hunting, bringing home meat, living off of the land and not just that, but, I I'm kind of weird in that sense where I don't like an easy hunt. I'd rather go way back in where you'd never, ever see another human being and, and get it done and make it a thousand times harder than myself than, uh, you know, cause there's, I have 90 acres out here and, and I could easily shoot an elk off my property or deer, but it's just not, it's not the same as when you put in a really good solid effort and, uh, you know, go into the mountains and in their real territory and get
1: it done. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I don't think that it's almost like you're maybe like thinking you would sound like a hunting snob to say that. Like, I think that that is the coolest outlook or ideology or mindset on it is that you want to challenge yourself. So when you're done, you know, that you put everything that you could into it to, you know, get the most out of it, kind of like you do in your training approach or your body or your fitness, or your nutrition, right? So I just think that that mindset of the provider and then when you put another level on it of being a quote-unquote, you know, a girl that... You know, a lot of girls don't do that. We could say it all day until we're blue in the face that there's, you know, there's a ton of Lenny's out there that will go pack a, you know, quarter an elk out and pack it out on their back and, and take that elk down with a bow and arrow and then cross country ski with it on their back and get it. And then, and then, and then take the knife to it and get the meat off it and then prepare all these awesome recipes. Like, I just don't, I don't understand why people can't connect with that and be like, I want my kids to do that. I want my family to do that. What a cooler way there's not a cooler way to live in my opinion. And I'm not trying to sound like a, you know, like we're the ultimate being, but in a way that is the ultimate way to live. You're not relying on anything else except mother nature and God's creatures to give you that ability to do it. And then it's all on you to put yourself in the right position to be successful day in and day out. I just don't see anything cooler that a kid or a, a, a mentor like yourself could deliver to somebody or, you know, a kid that might not necessarily have the ability to do that or the opportunity to do that once they did that and saw the reward and just the bounty and the compassion for the animal, the conservation efforts that we go through as hunters, I, I, I just, I, I have it in my head, like kudos to you for doing that and being a good voice and an ambassador of that. And I think that more people need to hear that and, and have an idea of what it means to be a true provider.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, for most people, I think if they actually went through the process and, uh, you know, worked real hard, harvested an animal, you know, packed it out, processed it, cooked it up. They probably appreciate it a lot more than just driving down the store and and buying steaks. You know, you, you look at your food differently when you put effort into it, as opposed to just, uh, you know, going down the store and and buying it. There's a lot to be said about that. And, and, uh, you know, like you said, with conservation, hunters have have done so many things that a lot of people don't realize uh, for conservation and and helping to create more habitat and, and, uh, you know, ensure that animals in this country will have a place to live and roam for, you know, generations to come.
1: I agree 100%. So with that being said, I want to transition because I think that we need to do a podcast on your story and more so of the provider mentality in your career. This is more of the essentials of duck hunting. And I wanted to talk to you today and invite, I want to invite you on a hunt because I think it'd be really cool to hunt with you and see your skills behind a shotgun and what you've learned through your biathlon career and learn some stuff from you. Because I think that Learning the proper way to execute a shot with your breathing and the squeeze of the trigger, and not the the, pull—you know everything that goes into the fluidity—is that a word? I don't know any, but the fluidity of the of the swing and the squeeze and and how to get on target, stay on that target, and then transition to your second or third target. Obviously, the more you go, the more equipped and the more keen you become at that, more proficient you become. But I wanted to get into the culture of high vis and what a aftermarket site does, or, you know, a site that, that comes on that weapon that, because high vis provides a lot of sites on weapons that you buy on handguns and shotguns that you buy at retail. What would you say is the major first off advantage of that high vis site? And let's let's just talk today in a while. you You're a duck hunter, you goose hunt. I've hunted a lot where you live on the front range. You, uh, let, you know, there's so many different lighting conditions. There's so many different skies. There's so many different variables of you're in a pit or you're in a ground blind or you're in a panel blind or you're up against the tree, your gun's going from here to there, it's laying on, you got to pick it up and get on. There are all the variables that go into the different things and the different approaches that you're gonna face as a duck or a goose hunter. Let's keep that in mind as we go through these essentials now of what high vis means to a duck and goose hunter and what advantages has it given you personally and how would you tell a duck hunter to to probably properly get everything and maximize and capitalize on what that site from hive is is meant to do for their shooting that's a lot think, but that's kind of what I, the conversation i want to have today
0: absolutely yeah i, I think the one thing that sums up hive is and their sites the most for me is focus you know, that, w- like you just stated, there's so many different variables out there that we go through in hunting or self-defense or competition or anything. And I think the hardest thing that people have is is coming up with a way to focus on one thing. And, uh, you know, I think the, the biggest thing with vis is that, you know, they don't settle for just status quo. They want to make sure that the products they're putting out there are the absolute best and are going to help you do what you want to
1: do. And would you say that when you say they're going to help you do what you want to do, I would say that 90% of potential in consumers or 90% of people that buy men or female, man or male, man, male or female that buy hunting licenses and duck stamps to go duck or goose hunting. I would say that 90% of them are uneducated on aftermarket sites until they really start looking into it or they see one and they start figuring out like what, why would, is the sight on my gun not suffice? You know, like, why would I change this out? And that's what I want to get into of like, I know my reasoning behind it and what it does for me, but I don't, I don't know if like my message is always like taken the right way, if that makes sense to you, because, um, I hunt every day and I get to see how many different you know, different natural environments can be, be in you know my way. Am I wearing sunglasses? And if I am wearing sunglasses, what color lenses am I, am I wearing? And how am I picking up my sight? What does it mean to really pick up your sight and get on a target really fast? What does it mean to point a, a shotgun at an animal and get in a position to, you know, to safely squeeze that trigger and dispatch that animal with a well executed shot with your breathing and everything? And what is your eye doing in accordance to that sight? in accordance to that target? And then the next thing that goes off in the duck hunter's mind. It's like, well, I got to get to the next one. So I'm always telling people, and he's like, what I look for with my hive is, is the ability, as soon as I throw my gun up on my shoulder, and I try to do that in a very athletic way of, I don't, I don't just, I kind of, I don't manhandle the gun. I'm very like a baseball player, like really fluid with it. I don't grip it real tight, but I try to get it into position really fast and get my, my cheek down on it and get down that rib to that site and get on the bird. And my, I'm calling the shot and I'm, I got my duck call in my hand. So I'm kind of watching the body language of the ducks. And I think that the instincts of me now is like, I'm going to get my high vis on that duck right there. And once I do that, my success rate is so up, is so high on that first shot most of the times, because. I already have the mindset and the visualization part taken care of. I know when I get that green daughter, that red daughter, that yellow daughter, whatever I'm going to, whatever side I have on my gun, I know what I'm going to be looking for. And I'm not just saying, oh, I'm just pointing my gun. I'm ready. I'm like uh, my visualization process is there of the, uh, and that's why I wanted to start this off with your athletic career is that it's an athletic technique that allows you to be a better shot consistently, higher success rate. With a shotgun on live animals, especially ducks, when they come in and they're so sporadic and they move and they juke and they jive and they look like they look like the Matrix a lot of the times. You know, you got to really be on your A game. So, does that make sense in how I would talk to somebody about it?
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, and and just hearing you talk about that, it just made me think that you sound like an Olympic waterfowler. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I say that is is uh, everything you talked about is are the same things that as an Olymp- Olympic shooter, we focus on in, in our training and in our, our competition. And what I like to tell people is, is competition and, and things like that are no different than when you go out in the field. You're, you're competing to get that shot on that bird and that, you know, that one shot on an elk or deer or whatever. And, um, it takes time and practice to get to the point where you're at you know, for a lot of people, they, they may not be able to go out as much as you do and get to that that level. But it doesn't mean that that you can't improve and can't learn some of those techniques that you talked about by um, putting a little bit of time at home or at the range or things like that. Um, you know, visualization is so important to those types of things, you know, visualizing scenarios and things like that. I always, I think that, that hunting is actually harder than competing in Olympic sport or, or shooting events because you're, you're going after something that has a brain of its own. You know, the, the birds, the, like you said, they're moving, they're going, they're moving around and, and, uh, you know, doing different things. The targets that we shoot out in competition they're static. They're not going anywhere, (laughs) you know, or even, even a clay pigeon when you're, when you're out at the range, it's, it's on a a specific flight pattern. It's not going to just turn midair or anything like that. And, and uh, you know, for a lot of people, they, they want to know, well, how do I train for hunting? Whether it's waterfowl or, or, you know, big game or small game and things like that. And you, you really got to put the time in, but you know some of the things that you said as far as getting into a position where you know you get the gun up in a in a fluid way and and uh, you know take the time to figure out how to get your your head down on the cheekpiece quick and efficiently and things like that. Those little things make a huge difference when you're when you're out there because. You know, when you're on the field, you know, you know, your gun may be over here, and there's birds coming in different directions, and there's so many different variables that you need to practice every different scenario to get to that point where you could just pull up the gun and you're ready to rock and roll.
1: Yeah, and I think that in my training, like I, I've, I've been trying to show people through my training of like, let's get rid of the mindset that you, you need to, you need to fit the status quo of a duck hunter, you know, like let's be 300 pounds and just out of shape and barely can walk in and, and all that. And that's to each their own. But what I've been trying to say is that my goal is to hunt as long as I can into, into my seventies and my eighties, hopefully, you know, and to be successful and to be able to keep up and to, to love, cause I love that lifestyle and I love the culture so much. So when I'm training in the off season or even during the season, I do this thing called tailgate training that I've been pressing a lot and trying to focus on of if I'm not in my routine and I'm out on a dirt road, I can use the stuff in my truck or my trailer to get a good workout in kind of like what you're doing through this quarantine. I've been doing wacko stuff at home when I can't get to my trainer that people would look at me and go, what are you doing? Like I got five gallon water buckets, you know, water bottles that you would put in the dispenser and I'm using those for different things. But when I'm doing lunges or I'm doing a core exercise where I come up and I hold or, or different kinds of presses and things that I do, I'm always visualizing like, all right, if I had to get my belly button focused in this position right here and get my tor- my core torqued in this position, could I get a shot off like that? Or how can I get my legs and my butt kind of in the right position to get a better shot and to be more stable? And And then I say, all right, well, there's a branch right there and I'm going to let that duck get over to the right a little bit. How am I going to transition from that focal point to my next one? And so when I'm in the gym or I'm out training my dog or whatever, I'm trying to see those ducks come into all these different scenarios. And I try to get my body into positions to where like, all right, well, if I'm laying down and I have to hoist up into a sit up or a crunch position, I want to make sure that I can stabilize by taking my belly button, sucking it into my spine and really activating my core to get complete control to where I'm not shaking at all. And then so I'm, I'm trying to visualize all that. And when people hear me say that, they're like, you're way overthinking it. And I'm like, no, I'm training for it. So when the hunt does come, I don't second-guess myself. I don't think about it at all. It's all second nature. I just pull up, bam, and I see another duck and I'm on it, bam, because I've already visualized what those ducks are going to do, how they're going to try to get out of there once the first shot does go off. And then I'm looking at all my all the external stuff, like it, it, the dog's not breaking, nobody's in the line of fire, everybody's guns are unloaded and muzzles up before anybody gets out of the blind high-fiving and hooping and hollering or to retrieve the harvested birds. The dog's out in front, guns are unloaded and say, I'm visualizing that entire process so when it is ta- go time, it's it's a it's you know it's like it's easy it's second nature right
0: yeah absolutely and and you need to take time to think about all those little things and and you know for a lot of people um you like you said you can do those things at home and practice them and and uh you know i see a lot of just regular uh say three gun competitors and shooters and stuff jumping into that kind of training that you're doing and uh even even hunters big game hunters You can do that kind of stuff at home, turn on the foul life. And when, when birds are flying, when you got shots of birds flying in the air, pull up your shotgun, completely empty shotgun and, uh, you know, practice, like how would you be in a position, um, to shoot these, these ducks if they're flying and, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, I think that for a lot of people, you know, if they thought of, okay, I'm getting up really, really early to go duck hunting, should I skip breakfast? You know, probably not because you're going to be sitting out there a while. If you skip brec- breakfast, your blood sugar is going to be low. You're going to get out there, you know, maybe dehydrated. It could be, it could mean the difference between, um, you know, having a good breakfast and staying hydrated and, and getting your limit and, and, or going home frustrated and missing a bunch of birds that day. You know, those types of things make a difference,
1: you Huge know, and the, difference.
0: Little, the little things, you got to focus on the little things. Those make a big difference.
1: Yeah. And I think that if they take that training mentality into it and then they start to apply that to their vision, which I I had an ophthalmologist on the podcast and my whole discussion with Dr. Matt Mills was my vision because he's my eye doctor. He's my eye surgeon. And um, you know, what age does, what genetics do, everything that goes into vision is a huge part in your success with a shotgun. Uh, what you right or left eye dominance. How do you get your cheek down on? Do you shoot with both eyes open like you're supposed to, or how are you taught? Is it, is it impossible to teach an old dog new tricks and to start shooting with both eyes open? What are you, what are you doing with your breathing? Are you nasal breathing in and out? Are you nasal breathing in and pierce lips out or what, are, what all are you doing to ensure that you're in the proper form every, Every single time you squeeze the trigger, where do you hold your finger on the trigger? But my, my main thing with you is, is the vision part of the hunt is the most 100% important part of what we do as hunters and gatherers, because it is meant to be a visual stimulus for us to see the sunrise, the mountains, the flocks of ducks, the dog work, the, the breath, everything that you see as a hunter is stuff that is, um, you just can't describe, you can't, it's, you can't, it's hard to even put it in painting or into words on what that makes me feel like. So my vision is really keen. So I take that a step further through my visualization process of like, I am going to see every shot with 100% validity and just like perfect vision. Like my scope is going to be always wide open. I'm never going to have a half-ass shot, or I'm never going to see things, you know, like a little bit dimmer than they're they're supposed to. I want everything to be vibrant and right there, even if it's an overcast day, how can I make that, that, that shot picture or that scope, the best vibrancy that I can get out of it. And that's where I tell people high vis is to me, like the culture of high vis is that it enlightens my hunt to the point of, it allows my every shot to come alive. Well, you can't really do that on a bluebird day, and I go, yes, you can, and here's how. And if it's a low over, overcast day with a low ceiling, here's what high vis does to me. And all it is is the the um, the ability to. To not be ignorant or not be a know-it-all, because for a long time I've I've done that with things in my life, Lanny. Of like, nah, I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty good. I don't need that. I don't need to move from this to that. I I I don't need. I understand. I don't need to mess with my shims on my gun. Everything. I don't need to mess with my forcing cones. My patterning's fine. And then when I do it, I'm like, oh, that's what you meant. So when people just take that leap of faith and say, all right, I'm going to put a sight on my gun and I'm going to learn how to capitalize and maximize what this sight's potential is, that's when people start seeing what I've always said of like, let. Let these sights light up your hunt let them bring the vibrancy to your hunt because you will literally see the hunt different than you've ever seen it before down the barrel of your gun which is 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 less and less time of any hunt it's it's less of the time that you see it through your eyes through your sunglasses through your binoculars the sight the, the sight picture of down your in your scope or down your shotgun rib with your high vis sight is the least time that we spend in the field Right the other of it's just it's just vision. So when you do put your sight, you know, that sight picture out on that target, let it be just as vibrant as the rest of what you've been experiencing all morning. Don't close an eye, keep eyes wide open and enlighten it with that sight. And I don't know if you get that far in depth with it with your shooting career, but I would assume that when you're competing for a gold medal in the Olympics against a Swedish person and a German person and all these badass world athletes that you are trying to see the race, see the competition the best you possibly can.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, and it, it kind of like just looking at you on, on the screen it, it with your high-vis hat on it, it just proves your point because you you've got your camo hat with the ducks in the background. And the thing that stands out the most is that high-vis on your hat. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people that have never tried it, I, I say, um, you, you put in so much time and effort into hunting, you know, you, you go out and you buy a nice Benelli or Beretta or, you know, whatever shotgun and, and, uh, put a lot of money into that You put a lot of money into your, your ammo, uh, you know, get up early in the morning and you can, you can just try out a high vis site for the, the cost that it would, would be for breakfast that morning, you know? So, um, it's one of those things, seeing is believe, believing, believing it, it truly, uh, does make a difference. And like you said, if, if you have all these colors that are flashing in front of you that are that are mute and dull and, and all the same, you know, when you're, when you're looking at a sky with full of, full of ducks, if you don't have something that's going to stand out to help guide you into that right position, into the right, the correct shot, you may not be set up the, the right way, like you were saying.
1: And I think that with the sight in the sight picture of when you do get that gun on, you know, on your cheek, down on the, on the pad and you're looking down your rib, I don't think that, anybody could argue the fact that your success rate can only go up, um, with that, with that added light fixture on the end of your barrel. I don't think that anybody could ever tell me like, look, it bothers me when I throw that up. And I'm like, I don't understand that because the the sight picture, it, it's, it's literally lighting up your target. That's what it does to me. Like just like my hat against this background with the camouflage, it lights up the picture. You cannot help but get on your target easier. And then the whole other part of the, the, the high-vis deal for me is getting on my second and third because I take pride in good harvestable shots and being able to get ducks tight enough to where almost every flock I get three good shots off because there's ducks right there and they're not at 60 by the time I shoot my first duck, you know? I get shots that boom, boom, boom with my breathing and my sight picture right there. And that's what the high-vis has allowed me to do for years because – in, it's nothing to have 10 12 15 ducks come into the hole at once or 30 geese come into the hole at once and i don't i don't want to i don't want to cripple a goose i don't want to take a bad shot i want to have my full i, I don't want to compromise anything i want to have that sight picture locked in and squeeze and have that high vis do its job of lighting up the target it's not about it's not about like you just have this thing down there to find the end of your barrel faster it's about lighting up your target and making it more vibrant and more confidence goes into the squeeze of that trigger once that sight picture is 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 found and 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 judged and decided on that that's the one i want to squeeze
0: Absolutely. And like you said, uh, time is of the essence, you know, the the hives can help you have site can help you get your shots off quicker. And I'm talking tenths of a second faster where, um, like, you know, going from, from bird to bird, you know, if you wait too long, they're going to be out of range and, and gone, or you could, you could end up wounding something. So, um, that alone should be enough to want to try to do better and and want to try to get faster and and, uh, you know, harvest more birds.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think that if you take the mindset of the, the ethics of hunting is you, if you look at it in, in my opinion is a rifle scope is the same thing. The more, I can get the more that I can get out of that sight picture, the easier that I can stay on my targets vitals because of the scope or because of the technology that's gone into that rifle scope. You can, you can look at it a bunch of different ways. And that is like, I want that animal to not have a chance of suffering. And I think that when, when in duck and goose hunting that, that people kind of take it for granted of, well, I'm just going to get on the target and squeeze and then let the ammo do the rest. And I'm like, although there's a lot more thought process that goes into what the technology that we have at our fingertips can do right now, as far as patterning choke tubes. And I have, I don't know if you watch what I say on my social media or anything in the last couple of years, but I always say the combination of Benelli with Federal Black Cloud, with the high-vis sight and a Rob Roberts choke tube, you literally do not cripple animals. You you dispatch them very ethically and you do it very easily as far as transitioning and getting on your target and making sure that that animal's dead before you move on to your next one. And that's the responsibility of a hunter. So you add that into the, the high-vis culture and the high-vis message that that sight is giving you of now you're on target faster. Now you're transitioning from target... Target to target faster now you're ethically better because you're on target and shooting at the vitals a lot easier whether it's through a scope or whether it's through your high vis sight on your shotguns that's our responsibility as a hunter and i think that phil with his genius and all of the designers at hive for years have had that ideology of if you're in the military and you're on target, you better be damn well that, you know, that you better, it better be damn well thought out that if I squeeze this trigger, that I'm not going to have a chance of retribution, that it's going to be on target. Boom. And that's what the mentality is with home defense, with everything is it helps you get on there and have the confidence in your shot without that. Like why else would you be shooting a gun? You have to have the confidence in your target.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I like that you put it in that way that ethically as a hunter, you want to put the best shot in. it doesn't matter if it's an elk or a mountain goat or a moose or ducks and geese, you know, you don't want that animal to suffer. So most people they're willing to, to spend more money to get a little bit better class, you know, for their rifle you know, it's no different with, you know, a a fiber optic sight, which they don't cost that much, No. (laughs) but it can improve your shooting and help you to become a better, more efficient shooter and, and putting the animal out of its misery as quick as possible, you know, getting that good ethical shot. And, uh, same goes for self-defense. We, we take a lot of self-defense and and what we do in our sites to heart because we know that that when a woman or a law enforcement officer or military uh, members of the military when they put a high vis sight on their on their firearms we know it's not just to put meat on the table it's to protect the lives of themselves and others around them and we take that very seriously we want them to have that confidence like you said to use it in a way in which they they need
1: to. And I want to make sure that the duck hunter, the female duck hunter, the male duck hunter, the new duck hunter, the experienced duck hunter, there's a reason why military and law enforcement personnel depend on Hive is there is a reason why the top gun manufacturers in the world depend on OEM programs that Hive is develops the, the, the fiber optic sites to, Come equipped on these guns there's a reason for this it's because it makes it a better weapon it makes it a better choice for you to use whether you're defending your family in your home whether you're taking the responsibility of taking a life of a wild animal which is a huge responsibility and and even and i say this all the time too lenny is that I don't like shooting coyotes with a rifle at 400 yards because their vitals are really big or I mean really little and whether it's wind or the bullet or the gravitational pull or whatever, I don't want to even cripple a coyote. I would rather have my high vis locked in with two of them running in at me at full speed Coming, coming to my call and running over my decoy, and I, I, I can't explain the confidence when a coyote, a fifty-pound coyote's coming at you, and it's got, and you have your high vis sight at the end of your shotgun. How clear your picture picture is, and how clear your shot direction is of dispatching an animal that's coming to eat you. Now, as bad as that sounds, predator management is key, and it's very important in our ecosystem. So, I have no problems talking about it. The use of high vis on a shotgun stand is key and being a good coyote hunter and good predator, predator management. So if you take that whole mindset or ideology into your duck hunting of like, why would these guys, why would a sniper, why would a special forces, why would a green beret, why would a Navy seal have one of these sites on their weapon? It's because it's go time. And if you're really serious about go time, whether you're an Olympic athlete, whether you're a beginner duck hunter, a duck hunter that does it every day, or a military guy or a law enforcement personnel, it's go time. And you don't want to mess that up. You're not going to get a second chance. And I always talk like, if it's self-defense, you're not going to get a second chance. You might be smoked with ducks. It's your, it's what we look for. It's what we think about every day. They rule our world. We merely exist in a duck's world. So if that shot does present itself, you bet your ass I'm going to try to capitalize because I've been waiting for this moment for my whole life so that it's kind of it's I, I don't want to be a drama king or a drama queen or add a bunch of drama to it but to me it is the it's so key to give yourself validity and vision and color and just the whole spectrum of what that hunt is supposed to look like through a fiber optic sight by hyvis that's kind of what i've always said and duck hunters are starting to catch on because every time i go out now Lanny, i'm seeing more and more people or have the kits and they're switching out their sights depending on the sky and they're really taking their shooting serious because it's it's key you you take your duck hunting serious you have a dog that you put thousands of hours of training into you learn how to drive a boat you learn how to use a knife and skin it you learn how to set up a decoy spread learn how to be the best shot you can possibly be
0: yeah absolutely and you know to your point if you have the best gun in the world like we'll say the the absolute best shotgun in the world benelli (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <There you go. laughs> i had to throw uh, it in
1: there i had to throw it in there before you said a brand i just had I to make said sure no to it. <laughs>
0: uh the at at the end of the day the two most important things that you need to do before you hit that animal are have a good sight picture and a good trigger squeeze and without that sight picture you might as well not pull the trigger.
1: And that's coming from an Olympic athlete. That's coming from a girl that's been on three freaking Olympic teams that shoots for a living. And I'm telling you, like if you just do it, I cannot, I can't stress the difference enough. Like it's night and day when the site with the technology that high has, it's night and day. And especially when you talk about the essentials of what we do, I'm, I am not going to take for granted one mallard duck because I know how important it is to get that shot. And I want to make sure that I capitalize on it. And then when I look at my hunting partners, I'm like, that came together just the way we visualized it. We painted this picture canvas was right there we threw all of our oils at it we were just our decoy spread our scouting our dog hide our face paint our hot coffee the campfire last night we had a guitar and we were picking and we were cooking on the traeger and we, then we got here and we did that the hunt just came together the sun come up perfect they came off the roost you heard her and our in and our and it started to build the hair on our neck started to stand up we got goosebumps no pun intended and then all of a sudden they're dropping into our decoy spread and we're sitting there going oh my god is chad going to call the shot is chad going to call the shot probably not this pass let him go one more pass we bring them back one more time they drop their feet cup their wings they're just and i say get them we sit up and if you don't have it in your mind if your visualization process hasn't been going nuts already and now you get to look down that barrel if you can't see the hunt the way it's intended to be seen then i i I can't stress it enough like you're missing out on the final part of the squeeze of that trigger and and the validity that you see with this technology at hive is
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, what you just described, it takes confidence to do that. And no matter what kind of shooting you're doing, whether it's self-defense, target practice, competition, hunting, you have to have confidence in your shooting and uh, you know, good sight picture, good trigger squeeze. That's what gives you the confidence and all the work you put in behind it.
1: So tell me what I'm talking about in biathlon terms and then take it into your duck hunting is that why you have a high vis site because of what happens when you put the gun to your shoulder and you're looking down? How, how would you describe it? What you're seeing and what site, what, what site would you tell somebody hey start with this site it's going to come with three different colors it's going to be is it a magnetic site is it what tell me a little advice on what you would tell a duck hunter that says you know what i'm going to do it i'm going to take the plunge and i'm going to get into this because i want to be the best shot i can be
0: i i think the best way to describe it for everybody that has some sort of issue with their vision whether whether they wear contacts or glasses or something like that And, uh, especially with your, your distance vision, if you went out hunting without your glasses or context for the day, you probably wouldn't have the confidence to be like, I think I know what bird that is. You know, it's it's the same feeling, um, in competition or, you know, in, in training, if you don't really know what you're looking at, if you aren't confident with that sight picture with that, that site, you're not going to be able to get a good solid hit on whatever you're shooting at. And for me, we competed all over the world in the most miserable places in the world, all cold places like Siberia and Scandinavia. And we had so much, so many difficulties in weather and Fog, snow, rain—you know things like that—that that we realize the importance of having a crisp, clear sight picture because you never know what you're going to encounter, especially you know waterfowl hunting. You guys, you guys are out there hunting in the same kind of weather that we had to deal with as biathletes. It's it's usually not nice, bluebird, sunny days, I and mean, you don't want those days anyways because the ducks are too high. But um, having the confidence in knowing what you're looking at. And knowing that you can take the shot because it is crisp and clear, that's going to give you the confidence to get your hits.
1: yeah, I, I agree, and I think that with what you described in the weather that you guys experienced in all of your shooting career, chasing these medals and and your and your Olympic careers, world championship careers, Every duck hunt is a world championship because if you don't treat it like that, then you're going to soon realize that your days in the field are numbered, man. Not just because of who you are. And I'm not talking about getting old. I'm talking about mother nature cooperating and lining all of the elements up that you actually get opportunity. They're not slim to none, but I would say that your odds of experiencing unbelievable hunts is is not as high as you would hope that it would be. And you're going to have to learn how to see the good in all of these hunts. And if it is getting a shot at two ducks, then take, make sure that that shot that you've taken every precaution to maximize it and capitalize on that opportunity. And I think I am going to educate you on something though, Miss Lanny, that I would like to tell you as a friend and as a future hunter together, I would do anything to hunt in bluebirds, guys, every day at my duck. hunting.
0: <laughs> I'm
1: telling you now that is how when ducks act like ducks. Now, I'm just saying that stormy days, I think are, they're good. It's just that there's, there's no shadows, so you can't hide as well. And ducks can just, they can see everything in stormy days, which is another reason why a lot of duck hunters will take a longer shot on a cloudy day because the ducks will not work in as close most of the time because they can see decoy fakeness. They can see UV light. They can see different, you know, the dog move easier because there's no shadows hiding anything when the sun's not out. Mm -hmm. So longer shots are taken and, On those days, which a lot of people deem ducky days and their favorite days to go out, snow goose hunters, duck hunters in the Delta of California or Louisiana, they love hunting on stormy days. Like you said, it keeps the ducks down lower. They fly around more. The wind's pushing them around more. They fly below the ceiling sometimes. Um, You have to be able to see. So do yourself a favor and go out and hold up a site today. Go get a site at any of your local dealers, box stores or mom and pop independents and check out a high-vis as, as far as just holding it up with your hand and looking down at just it, with that sight, with that with the clouds or the sky in the background or the low ceiling and see what you see. It, it truly is mind-blowing of when you put it up there and you're like, oh my gosh, it's just like, it's like, I don't, I don't know how you how you can really say it's like shooting fish in a barrel, kind of like how you can get on your target so much easier. And I think that with, uh, with a competition shooter that has had your success saying, yes, we depend on high vis. There is a reason. I don't care how much money high vis pays an Olympian. Okay. I don't, that's none of my business. I don't care what they ever paid you to be sponsored athlete from high vis. If it didn't work and you had a chance to win a gold medal and you said, well, they pay me a lot of money, but I don't want to use it. You'd probably say, keep your money and keep your sight. I'm going after the gold. That didn't happen because it works. So it's not like you're being forced to use these as the best shooters in the world as an Olympic biathlete.
0: There's a, there's a good reason why Hivez has some of the top shooters in the country like Jerry, Jerry Michalik, Max Michelle, uh, you know, Lena michelek Viz works and it works for a reason. And, uh, you know, all, all I say to people out there is, is like you said, give it, a, give it a try. 15 bucks. You can, you know,
1: which site tell me the site right now, which if I'm, if I'm going, if I'm, if I'm looking at, let's just say I'm, I'm looking to practice this summer. I want to take it to the sporting college range a few times and just see what I see with that, with that site picture, with my new vis. which model do I get?
0: Go out and get the Bird Buster, because it comes in three different sizes, so you don't have to know your rib width. So, guaranteed, one of those is going to fit your shotgun. And it comes in different colors, so you can switch them out and see which one you like the best. What colors? Uh, orange, yellow, and green.
1: And why would you, why would Hi-Viz ever make that? Is that... Uh, a pupil sensitivity thing to how some guys and girls eyes adjust to different colors? Is it like my favorite color is red. So I'm going with that. Or is there science behind having a different color for any given day?
0: There's actually science behind it. I mean, everybody uh, everybody's eyes are different. It's just like our physiology, you know, you're taller than me. Um, You have a lot more, your shoulders are a lot stronger than me, you know, things like that your eye physiology is a lot different than mine. Um, So you may pick up on red better than green. You may pick up on yellow or orange, you know, things like that. So uh, every it's, it's personal preference in a, at a physiology physiological level. Um, So so, if you,
1: if you're going hunting with me tomorrow, what, and, and let's say that it's going to be, it's a high of 45, high clouds with a little bit of scattered, scattered sunshine, but mostly cloudy, but a high ceiling. Um, are you picking a different color than you competed with on those days for a duck hunt? Or are you one color because of the way your eyes adjust to that certain color?
0: You know, I, when, when I competed, I changed out colors because it does make a difference in different conditions. Um, but if I were to only pick one color, it would be green because my eye picks up that in almost all conditions as good as, as
1: the
0: colors. But again, it's one of those things where if you have the option, why not change it? Why not make it the best you can for that moment?
1: Right. So what would you do tomorrow? Would you use a green on a high, high seal? Would you use a green on pretty much every day? You personally?
0: No, no, I definitely change it out. You would. Yes. Yeah.
1: Okay, so tell me the weather conditions on our second hunt. We go on a three-day hunt. Tell me the conditions on the on day two and what color are you using?
0: Uh for let's say bluebird skies, Okay. <laughs> you know, something like that. I'd probably use a red because um my I have blue eyes. They're very, very sensitive to light. So green is almost a little bit too much for me on a really bright bluebird day. And so red, it just it's it just it makes it that much more crisp with red.
1: Okay. And what if you are, have you ever had a question posed to you, Lenny, of, I wear glasses when I, I I wear Oakley's every day when I hunt, right? I wear different lens configurations, different lens colors. Um, You know, the prism lenses, you, you, you have a, a lot of different color combinations in that as well. Is there a science that goes into matching the lens technology on your shooting glasses? Because I'm I'm sure that you're safe and wear shooting glasses also. You probably had to in in competition, I would assume. If not, maybe not. But do you wear them? And if so, is there a science behind matching that lens technology with the high vis colors?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So in Biathlon, I'm just gonna put it out there, we didn't use we didn't wear eye protection because uh in the winter, your first breath when you're breathing 180 beats per minute, uh, is going to fog up whatever you're wearing. Um, so we, it's not physically possible to, because you, you just fog up and you couldn't see. Um, so we'd flip our glasses up, um, before coming into the range, but to that point, um, your, it takes your eye approximately 15 seconds to adjust to different lighting conditions and different colors. So if you are wearing a different color lens than you were, um before or lighting lighting colors change it just keep in mind that it takes about 15 seconds for your eye to adjust to being able to operate efficiently um, to be able to see what you're shooting at you know so having the right lens color having the right sight color um you know taking that into account and practicing with it it makes a difference you know if if you want to keep everything the same i mean there's I always stress to people, if you don't have the time to practice a lot, simplify it, you know, stick with one lens color or, you know, one um, sight color and just really practice with that. But if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty and really be able to um, see a difference in certain lighting conditions, then go out and and try different lens colors and try different uh, sight colors and see what works best in different conditions. I love
1: doing it. I do it so much as far as like, different polarization different prism lenses by oakley different color combinations um and then i'll mix in sorry excuse me mix in different color high vis sights and then i'll go all right i'll a bird over my head left to right i'm a really really terrible really poor shooter right to left so that's the shot that i work on most of my summer and off season is if i'm shooting Mallards in a crosswind or something am I going to be able to be confident right to left and then pulling straight up on a duck That's going up if i'm shooting teal right to left I'll practice a real fast target and then one that's going straight up in the air And then i'll do the same exact shot again with a different pair of glasses with a different color or the same pair of glasses with A different color light pipe on my high vis. And it's true. It's 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 the mindset of getting it right down to a t like if i'm going to be a perfectionist hunter I want to know all of that. Like I have a fascination with butchering, right? Like I don't just want to cut the meat off to say I cut the meat off, I want to know Where is every cut on this and how do I get it to maximize my bounty? I want to know, do I, can I use these legs for gumbo? And where do I cut them at the knuckle? The best way to get the tenderized meat. And then how, what do I do with them after that? I want to know all that. I want to like get that deep in If I'm eating a cow and butchering it. I want to go into a butcher shop and I'm envious of a butcher that knows the cuts down to a T and knows how to make them with a knife and as fast and fluid as they do. I want to do that as a duck hunter. I want to do that as a big game hunter. I want to know how to cape that animal and or skin that animal and gut that animal. And with shooting, it's the same thing. I don't want the duck just to fall out of the air. I want to sound like a duck. I want to know the jargon and the exact vocabulary of that duck and goose. I want to know exactly what to say, when to say, how loud to say it, how soft to say it, when to stop saying it. I want to know what my decoys are doing, my spinning wing decoys are doing. I want to know what my dog's thinking I want to know all that. I want to be a better boat driver. I want to learn how to drive a boat like I'm from Arkansas. So I apply all of those practice techniques daily. And if you don't, then you're you're really not getting everything that a duck hunt or an elk hunt can produce. And again, some people might look at me and say, you're an idiot. You're trying to take all the fun out of it. And I'm like, no, the fun is putting all of those pieces together and figuring it out because a a duck has a brain, the size of an M M&M. and M we're not hunting Einstein here. So I want to make sure that I do it with the most ethical morally correct, you know, compass and keep my standards high of like, I'm going to be the best shot I can be by practicing all the stuff that we talked about today. And I just want to reiterate, like just try it 15, 20, 30 bucks. That's a couple Casey's pizzas. If you live in Kansas or Casey's is in Colorado too. I think I've seen them there. Um, Duck hunters eat a lot of pizza in the morning. Lanny is what my point is. They shouldn't. They should have apples and like stuff that you eat. Um, so what I'm saying is, just try it. Just give it a shot, and don't be closed minded and just see how it elevates your game.
0: Absolutely, I like what you said about um, wanting to pay attention to every little detail and be successful. Because you you look at people that are that are winning, that are that are doing well they're always having fun. (laughs) You know, you don't see someone up on the top of a podium or, or walking out with their, their, uh, limited ducks and being like, Oh, that was miserable. You know, You, you don't see that if you, if you want to be successful, That also means having fun, you know, and, and, and part of that is paying attention to the details and making sure that you're, um, you know, focusing on all the little things that add up to a successful hunt.
1: Yeah. And I guarantee that if you like take one of your teammates, like I know one of your teammates, Scotty Lego, who won a bronze in the Olympics on snowboards, Sean White's another one of your teammates in the Olympics. Um, I think that if you ask any athlete, like, was that your best run? Did you nail it? And he, he goes, well, even if he wins the gold medal and he doesn't nail that trick the way that he practiced for years in the foam pit or at the Red Bull, whatever it was, if they, top-notch athletes and shooters and hunters, they're going to pick their game apart. They're going to be like, yes, it worked. We did kill a limited of ducks, but here's why it wasn't the complete hunt. And I want the complete hunt I'm not going to take the fun out of it but there's some things that we need to work on better tomorrow. we can get them a little tighter we can work on our patience a little bit more. I think that we could have moved our decoys a little bit and formed a wall over here to cut them off a little bit more Sean white's the same way Scotty Lego's the same way yeah I just didn't nail it quiet the judges might not have caught it i they, um, there's all of that that goes through an athletes and a competitor and a, and a perfectionist mind and I'm not saying that the hunt has to be perfect to get. The ultimate results out of it. I'm just saying, as you further into your hunting career, you're going to want to start putting all of these different pieces of this puzzle together, and all those different paints thrown at that canvas. And when it all comes together, and you say "get them," and then you look at your the breath coming out of your mouth, and you're looking at your hunting partners, and your dogs bringing back a mouthful of mallard, you're going. Oh my gosh, did you guys just see that? We just worked our asses off all off-season, and we capitalized when it happened. We didn't cripple any. They didn't flare off of us. We were hidden the right way. We were talking to them. They believed in what we were saying. We looked real. We had ripples on the water. We had chocolate milk effect because the ducks are always scurrying and creating sediment uproar and inside under the water. Everything was dialed in. It wasn't just we got lucky and that duck said, oh, I'm going down there no matter what. We hunted right our our execution was well our approach was there and our execution was perfect and you're not going to get that every day and that's why when you come out of there you're a sponge you're coachable you're like a great athlete like I learned something today I failed a lot today hunters fail way more than they succeed and if they don't they're not hunting enough and I shouldn't say they're not hunting enough they just don't hunt that much if they're not failing more than they succeed I fail all the time but I always have been the guy that's like we can do this better tomorrow. Do I get down sometimes? Yeah, but duck camp gets me back up so fast. Like, oh my God, well, we got this to look forward to. Let's, we ain't got time to be down. Let's just, look, let's get ready for tomorrow. Let's go back and get our gear all cleaned up. Let's look like a, a well-manufactured team tomorrow morning and let's go out and do it again and get better results. And I think that that's, I think that you have, as a hunter, you owe it to the birds and the, or whatever game you're pursuing to harvest, you owe them that respect and that compassion. Like, look, we are going to take your life, but we're going to do it this way to where it's that, that it's a uh, no, you know, you suffer none. So I don't know, maybe that's too technical to look at the hunting approach, but I think that that's kind of where I'm at is like, I want all of these pieces to fit together every day.
0: You know, I don't think you're that far off because there's a lot of people that are looking at hunting and, and shooting and, and you know, everything in their life the same way, approaching it that, hey, you know, life is too short to kind of do it half-assed. We got to jump into it and give it everything we have because we may not have another opportunity. And exactly. uh, you know, I, I approach pretty much everything I do with that same mentality is, is uh, you know, i Every hunt, I want to be as successful as possible and have as much fun as possible because will I get another opportunity next time? Who knows? Hopefully I do. But I want to make sure that, that I'm in that moment having as much fun as I can, being as successful as I can and learning as much as I can.
1: Yeah. And I'm not saying that if somebody came to me and said, Hey, teach me how to duck hunt. I wouldn't be like, all right, do this, 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 and this, and then report back to me next Wednesday. And then that Wednesday do this. I'm not, I'm going to take it slow. We're going to go out on the right days. We're going to experience success. We're going to learn it in a fun manner. And right now in America, there's never a more important time for us hunters to have this responsibility, male or female. We have an opportunity right now because we are going to be approached. I've already been approached and I'm sure you have too. We are going to be approached by people with different political backgrounds than some of us. We're going to be approached by people that have been anti-hunting for years. We're going to be approached by people that are curious now of how we are getting our meats and how are we living off the land and how I, I just seen it twice last week this is wild turkey yes where did you get him um on sacramento river in northern california right outside of calusa really i'd like to go check that out like i'm like really like they never hunt in their lives but just the taste of that food and in a time where we're you know that we can't get food readily at our fingertips like we usually can at the supermarket people are interested right now we have the responsibility right now we have the opportunity to be like hey we will we, we'll mentor you let's 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 introduce somebody new to the sport because if we don't do that then we're screwed in the long run anyway and i want to do it in a way to where like hey just keep adding to it man add to your arsenal you might add some speckle belly floaters next year you might add a, a canada short read goose call next year you might move from a 20 gauge to a 12 gauge or from a 12 gauge to a 20 gauge here's some different size ammo here's a different patterning choke tube for your turkey as opposed to your teal as opposed to your mallards as opposed to your canada geese Always be a thinking. It's a thinking man's, a thinking woman's game. Just just be thinking all the time. Don't take the fun out of it, but be thinking all the time to where... I I have a responsibility to teach, to pass this down from generation to generation and a responsibility to harvest these animals as ethically as possible. I'm going to do it right every time. I'm not going to take this shot for granted. I want to see it clearly and with a ton of validity and I want it just brightened up every single time I squeeze that trigger. That's the cool part about being a hunter is getting to that point of like, I think I got it figured out. And then they kick your ass the next day and you're like, well, I'm going back and I'm going to learn and I'll be back tomorrow. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, like you said, I I think we do have a responsibility, um, to help mentor these new, uh, hunters and, and, and shooters coming in, you know, there's so many people that, that maybe never thought of hunting as, as a way of providing for the family. And I think, I think that light bulb is going off in a lot of people's heads and it's our responsi- responsibility to make sure that we help them and help them do it right because, you know, we, we all know that in hunting there's a wrong way and there's a right way and, and we want to make sure that all of us, no matter who's doing it, is doing it ethically, uh, safe, morally, and uh, is having fun doing it.
1: And that's why I love Phil. Howe. that's why I love being able to meet people like you and Tess. And Tess is a three gunner, and she's a shooter. I love Miss Sandy, and I love I love Joey. I mean, everybody that I've ran into in my tenure with the brand has been so awesome, all the way back to the Chris Quam days. And I I appreciate the partnership. I appreciate the technology and the innovation, and the debt, especially the dedication and commitment to the shooter and the Second Amendment of our Constitution. And what Phil and his his background and what he's done and battled to keep doing and the team he's put together now and i'm so thankful for that and and it's just a what a what a great industry to be a part of and not in a humbling industry and what an unbelievable lifestyle to be able to sit on a podcast with an olympian and talk about shooting ducks and cooking ducks to eat i mean it just doesn't get any cooler than that i appreciate you being here we are going to hunt this year i am going to challenge you in a little bit we're going to challenge like i got tom out here who's a really good um his wife's Alpine downhill and he is, he was a college snow skier, but cross country, but I don't remember what they called it now. I can't remember what it's called. When they Nordic? Ca- Yes. Nordic skier. We're going to do that. We're going to hunt. We're going to cook. We're going to have maybe one little glass of wine. Cause we're going to be hunting in California. Probably. I will <laughs> get you some details on some dates and hopefully you can come join us. Cause I'd love to hunt with you. I appreciate you being here.
0: Absolutely. I'd love to do that. Um, Thanks for representing HiViz so well. We're happy to have you as part of the family and and good luck on all your hunts this year.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. I'm glad you're part of the HiViz family. And where can people find you on Instagram go?
0: Uh, Instagram and Facebook, Lanny Oakley
1: lanny oakley that is like a play on the american western out you know like getting western annie oakley if you're a good shot people refer to you as annie oakley if you're a guy and you're a good shot do they refer to you as bill cody or is it uh buffalo who is the good shots of for the males
0: uh buffalo bill buffalo bill
1: yeah Hey, I'm Buffalo Bill. You're... <laughs> You're awesome. This has been another episode of the Essentials of Duck Hunting on the Fowl Life Podcast. Today's episode was brought to you by our friends in Laramie, Wyoming, the one and only High Viz Sites. Check them out at sites.com. You cannot go wrong. Give them a try. You heard the entire discussion today. We're so proud of our partnership and affiliation with High Viz and what they're building. They believe in the shooting, they believe in the culture, of the hunter, the shooting rights of Americans, the Second Amendment, the NRA. I'm so proud to be part of the High Viz family. There's more. More to come, lots more to come. Wait till you guys see what's around the corner with the innovation coming out of High Viz every single day. Today's episode of the Foul Life podcast was also brought to you by our friends, as always, at Gerber Gear. Check them out, gerbergear.com, and never forget to stay sharp, America. Chad Belding, Tom, hit that button. This is 2 a.m. Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. Thank you all so much.